Good morning, Christ Point. My name is James, and I have the great joy and privilege of being the pastor at Christ Point Church. Typically, on a Sunday morning uh, online, we'll have a welcome, maybe from me or someone else. We'll sing a song or two together in our living rooms, and then you'll hear the message. Like right now, we're going through the book of First Peter. But today, I want to do something different. This morning, I want to tell you a story. A couple months ago, my daughter, Amelia, was given a prayer journal from Jody, our children's director for CP Kids. And it's the coolest thing. Uh, on the top of it, it says, Hi, God. And then there are three separate sections. Uh, the first says, Today I... And, you know, your son or daughter fills in what they did for the day. Uh, the section under that is, I'm thankful for, and you write down the things that you're thankful for. And the last section, the third section, uh, says, I want to pray about, or I want to pray for, and then you write your prayer request. Well, recently, my parents made a decision to move from the Detroit area to uh, Charlotte. And so they had been looking for a home. And my daughter, Amelia, she's eight, thought this would be the perfect thing to pray for. And so each and every night, uh, she would write in that last section, I pray that Granny Goose, that's what my mom is called, another story for another day, and Grandpa would find a home. Well, I don't know if you've been looking for homes in the Charlotte area, but they're kind of hard to come by. Uh, ones that do... Uh, come up on the market, go quickly, and uh, they were interested in a couple houses and uh, put in offers on a couple houses, and uh, for one reason or another, they, they didn't get the house. <laughs> and so Amelia and I thought, well, we should continue to pray that Granny Goose and Grandpa find a house. And so on one particular evening early in September, when we got to that third section of our prayer journal, that says, I'm praying for, Amelia said, I'm praying for Granny Goose and Grandpa to find a house. And I stopped her and I said, Amelia, let's write down a date. I, I never do this uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, for one, I, I don't, <laughs> I feel like I don't want to pigeonhole the Lord uh, as if I were to know what's best. And, uh, and he wouldn't. That just seems silly to me. Uh, secondly, maybe, maybe deep down inside, I at times lack faith. And, and so I want to give the Lord an out. But, uh, but sometimes, too, I just realize that I'm limited, right? I'm not all-knowing. I don't know what's best. And so I find myself praying uh, general prayers for God to move or act. Uh, but but I'm not always very specific. But for whatever reason, on this particular evening, I said, let's be specific. I thought, well, what's the very worst that could happen? You know, maybe God says no, or maybe, maybe God says yes, and uh, he increases our faith, and wouldn't that be a cool thing? And so we wrote down a date, we put it in our journal, and we set it aside, and kind of forgot about that date. Well, uh, fast forward to two or three weeks after that, uh, time my parents had again put in an offer on a home and I think believe it was a, a Friday afternoon or evening if I remember correctly and they were supposed to find out on Saturday if they were going to get uh, the house or not and so they waited all day uh, Saturday
day. And uh, unfortunately, at the end of the day on Saturday, they found out that Saturday was now going to be Sunday. And so there was another day of waiting. Well, when I woke up on Sunday morning, I thought to myself, I wonder, I wonder what date we wrote down when Amelia and I were praying that Granny Goose and Grandpa would find a house. And so I pulled out her prayer journal and thumbed through, and sure enough, I found that journal entry that uh, said, I, I pray that Granny Goose and Grandpa would find a house on, and uh, the date that Amelia and I wrote down was Sunday, uh, September the 20th. The day that I grabbed her journal and the day that my parents were supposed to find out if they uh, would get the house or not, sure enough, was Sunday, September the 20th. Later that day, uh, my parents found out that their offer was indeed accepted and they had uh, gotten the house. I have to tell you, when I heard the news, uh, I was overwhelmed with joy. Uh, God filled my heart with faith, but not only my heart, but the heart of our little eight-year-old girl as well. Uh, so much so that uh, a week or two after that, when Melissa was praying with Amelia, our little daughter, uh, they came to the third section in the prayer journal that says, I'm praying for, and Amelia said, well, I want to pray that Granny Goose and Grandpa sell their house in Michigan so they can move down to Charlotte. And then she paused for a moment and she said, hmm, I think I'll choose a Thursday. <laughs> and Melissa thought to herself, oh no, like what have we done? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what God has done. Uh, God, at least for a moment, uh, filled the heart of a little girl and filled the heart of her dad with faith. Do you know that God hears and answers the prayers of his kids? Can I ask you a question? What are you praying about? What are you praying for? Uh, if I could be so bold... I want to invite you this morning to pray with me uh, for a few things for Christ Point. A couple months ago, we assembled a place in space team with two goals. One, to find a place in space in the uh, immediate <laughs> future, like now. And secondly, to think about a long-term home for Christ Point. God, in his goodness, provided a short-term solution for us. We've been meeting together over the course of the last roughly two months now at the Ehler Barn. And we have continued to pray that God would provide a long-term solution for his people at Christ Point. And uh, I am excited that we have uh, the potential or possibility uh, to purchase 10 acres um, pretty close uh, to uh, where we want to land, where we'd like to be. We think actually the location could be great for us. Uh, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered in the days ahead. A lot of things, as you can imagine, that would need to take place in order for it to happen. But we're excited about the prospect. Uh, 
And we're praying with open hands that God would give us wisdom and that he would open and close doors as he sees fit. Could I invite you uh, to pray with us that God just might, in his goodness, uh, provide a long-term home uh, for his people at Christ Point? Uh, Secondly, would you join me in praying for uh, part-time worship leader uh, to come on staff at Christ Point? This has been uh, a prayer of ours now for a while, and we have waited patiently and prayed expectedly expectantly that God would provide the right person at the right time. And I want to invite you to pray along with us. I am excited uh, for whom might uh, God have in the days ahead. And then last, but certainly not least, I would love for you to pray with me as we think about uh, 11 men and women who have uh, gone through or are going through a leadership class at Christ Point. Uh, These are godly men and women that I believe God has uh, great things in store for them and for us. He's gifted each and every one of them in unique ways. And we always say at Christ Point that we function best as a church body when we uh, function together, when we use the gifts and abilities that God has given each and every one of us uh, to serve uh, the Lord and to serve his people at Christ Point. So would you pray for them? Uh, that God would stir in their hearts a desire and passion uh, to serve and he would grant them clarity as they think about their next steps and then pray for us as well. We want the right people in the right places and so we're uh, praying that God might give us wisdom as well. So I invite you to pray along with me. If you're hearing this this morning and there's something in your life that you would like us as a church to be praying about, the elders or me, um, I want to invite you to send an email to prayer at Christpoint.com or you can send an email to my personal email address, james at Christpoint.com. I would be honored to be able to pray along with you. Uh, well, as we begin our time together this morning, let's pray. God, I give you thanks for answered prayers. Uh, Thank you that there are times in the lives of your kids when uh, it just seems like you show up so uh, clearly that we can't help but uh, praise you and give you thanks. And so thank you. Thank you for the moments in our lives where you remind us that you are intimately involved in the details of our lives. We give you thanks uh, that your plan is good, that you are good, and that you can be trusted. God, continue to work in the hearts and lives of those who call Christ Point home. Give us wisdom as we uh, think about a potential permanent home for our church. God, I pray that you would make it so. Uh, Give us wisdom as we move forward. Provide for us in unexpected ways. I pray that your hand would uh, clearly uh, move in such a way that we would sit back and we would say, uh, only God could do this. Uh, Lord, I pray for our next worship leader that you would uh, provide that person at just the right time and that we would clearly see Uh, your hand move and act. And finally, Lord, I pray for the men and the women uh, going through our leadership class that you would uh, guide and direct them 
in their next steps, that you would grant to us wisdom, that you would help them to use the gifts and abilities that you have entrusted to them uh, to bless uh, your church body at Christ Point as we seek to point people to Jesus. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for loving us first. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. God bless. Back in March of this year, 2020, actor John Krasinski went viral for sharing some good news. All of us at the time were in desperate need for good news. We were facing an unknown and uncertain pandemic. We didn't know how it was going to play out. The country was kind of on the front end of literally shutting down. We didn't know what the future would hold. It seems like uh, over the months, things have in some ways have gotten worse and not better. And so many people are still gripped by fear and uncertainty. And well, there's a whole election thing coming up. And you know how excited people can get about politics and how nerve-wracking and uncertain that season can be. And so in, in the midst of all the uncertainty, whether it was from the pandemic or racial tension or uncertainty in terms of our next elected leader, uh, we were desperate for some good news. And John provided it, oftentimes sharing uh, fun and lighthearted stories to a listening audience. His news as you can imagine, was, well, it was well-received because all of us stand in need of some good news. And so this morning, I want to offer to you the best news that you'll ever hear. It is news that has changed my life and even today is changing me. I think it will uh, change you as well. The good news that I want to share with you is that Jesus, who has been vindicated, reigns victorious. Jesus vindicated reigns victorious. We find ourselves in the middle of a series on the book of 1 Peter, in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter to the chosen but scattered church. And he writes to them with good news. He wants to remind them of the living hope that they have in Jesus. He wants them to be certain of their identity in Christ. He wants to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. And he wants to give them practical uh, rules for living in a world that is not their forever home. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to read uh, beginning in verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he, may, he was made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were uh, brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I probably should start off with a bit of a confession. <laughs> and my confession is this. Um, I don't know if I fully understand all of the text that I just read. <laughs> I, I know I'm not supposed to admit that, but I have to be honest with you. I, I read some of those verses and I think to myself, what? <laughs> I, I don't know if, if I'm 100% sure what exactly the Apostle Peter was talking about when he wrote those words. I should let you know that I do have some comfort in knowing that apparently I'm not the only one. As a matter of fact, the great reformer, uh, Martin Luther, said of this text these words. A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage perhaps than any in the Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. I cannot understand and I cannot explain it. And there has been no one who has explained it. So there it is. <laughs> I read that and I think to myself, let's close in prayer. <laughs> uh, I am coming, we are coming to a difficult text to understand. And I think it is worth thinking about um, how do we respond to a text that's difficult to understand? What happens when you're reading through scripture and you come across something that leaves you scratching your head where you say to yourself, I, I don't know with certainty if I really know what that means. Well, here's, I think, uh, a helpful response. This is something that I do. It's been helpful to me. Uh, perhaps it will be helpful to you as well. The first thing that I do when I come across a text that I don't understand is I go to God. <laughs> I know it sounds simplistic, but uh, I think it's helpful. We believe at Christ's point that all scripture is, is God-breathed, right? It's useful for teaching, uh, correcting, rebuking, training, and all righteousness, right? So the man of God or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, uh, scripture is from God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. And it's helpful for us, for our lives. It's, it's not something that we should simply glance over or that we should dismiss. We shouldn't get to a difficult passage in Scripture and think to ourselves, well, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't get it, so I'm going to close the book and move on. We shouldn't do that. We should go to God and we should just admit, Lord, I, I need help here. I, I don't know if I understand what you are saying here in this passage and I believe it's important you've given it to us to apply to our lives and so help right, so we we go to God secondly we uh, all of us we ask questions we come to a text and we look at it and we say there are our verses there there's a passage there that I don't understand and so we begin asking questions of the word it's okay to ask questions of the word. Sometimes we think asking questions is somehow going to be offensive to God, right? That we're, we're trying to corner him. We're, we're being critical of the words that he's written to us. No, we're just seeking clarity. 
I think of this passage and the challenges here, and I'm reminded of one commentator who uh, wrote that uh, the exegetical, this is his words, not mine, the exegetical questions basically come down to these. Where did Christ go? When did he go? To whom did he speak? And what did he say? Different answers to each of these questions can be found, resulting in a labyrinth of exegetical options, each of which has no clearly overwhelming claim to certainty, uh, with one calculating 180 different exegetical combinations in theory. <laughs> in other words, one smart guy or gal said, ah, there's about 180 different possibilities here in this passage for understanding. I, I read that and I go, there's a lot of questions there, right? There are, are people who, a, who are asking a number of questions about the text. And I think it's okay for us to do the same uh, with any passage of scripture. We, we read it, we seek to understand it, but when we don't understand it, when it's not plainly clear to us, we start asking questions of the text. What does this mean? So we go to God, we ask questions, and then we seek godly wisdom. We go to trusted resources. This is true of, of anything in life, right? If you have a question about your car, you hear a sound, or, or things just don't seem to be working correctly, you, you go to an expert. You go to a mechanic, and you say, hey, my car is making this, this sound. And then you, you, know, you try to <laughs> replicate the sound, and, and you say, will you help me? If you're not feeling well, you go to the doctor and you go, I got this thing and it's just, nah, I just don't feel quite right. And you try to explain it as best you can and you trust that the person that you're speaking with or speaking uh, to, uh, they're an expert and they're going to be able to help. Well, I think this is true with God's word too. We go to trusted resources and we uh, get their opinions. We, we don't believe that any one person is an errant Right, that their words somehow are inspired or without error, but um, God has gifted people with wisdom and he's gifted people with great minds. And so there's value in, in reading those people and saying, well, what do they say about this? And then fourth, it's important when we under, come to a text that's difficult to understand that we should, on some level, focus on what is plain to us and keep the main thing the main thing. So we focus on what is plain to us and we keep the main thing the main thing. We, we try to come to a text and say, what's the big idea here? What is the author trying to communicate to us? That's, that, that's what drives our thinking, what should drive the conversation. And then if there are other uh, secondary issues or supportive details that support this big idea, it's not that we should dismiss them, but we should make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And so I want us to spend the majority of our time this morning focusing in on Peter's main point and keeping the main thing the main thing. What is his main point? Well, it seems like he communicates it to us in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Christ vindicated, is now victorious. This, this here, is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that you and I are so desperate for. Christ suffered once for sins. Verse 22 says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers that have been subjected to him. 
Again, this is the, the beautiful news that we are so desperate for in a world filled with uh, bad news. Right? Christ suffered for sins. I don't know about you, but if you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, one of the temptations in the Christian life is that uh, those things, those truths that are spectacular become mundane. We hear something again and again and again, and even though we should be blown away by its truthfulness, oftentimes we just kind of shrug our shoulders and function in such a way that communicates we are eh, just sort of unimpressed with what we already know. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before or even had that struggle before, uh, but I certainly do. The gospel message that is the most spectacular news uh, ever delivered uh, oftentimes is received with just kind of a, a ho-hum mentality. Uh, certainly, there was a time when we were impressed by it or blown away by it, but it seems like a lot of times as life goes by, we can, I don't know, just be uh, unimpressed or uninspired by what is spectacular. You know, it's funny, the other week I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about the things in life that are spectacular, that are awe-inspiring, and yet become pretty mundane uh, to us all. I thought about what it's like to fly in an airplane. It sounds silly, but I can't tell you how many times I've been able uh, to fly to various places around the country or uh, the world up, you know, 30,000, 35,000 feet, however high they go up there, uh, sitting in a chair, <laughs> going hundreds of miles an hour. Uh, when you think about it, it's pretty spectacular, isn't it? That you can hop on a plane and you can be a completely different state or a completely different country in a mere hours. Right? <laughs> that should blow us away. You look out the window and you're above the clouds and you're going, whoa. <laughs> uh, and yet, uh, oftentimes when I'm on a flight, I think of all the little things that bug me. I don't know when it happened, but uh, somewhere along the way, uh, the, the stewardess, uh, they just started giving you partial cans of Coke. <laughs> right? <laughs> Instead of giving you the whole can in that small little cup, um, they just give you like half the can and then give the other half the can to someone sitting next to you. I can't tell you how many times I've thought to myself, seriously, you can't just give me the whole can? Like I don't even get a whole can of Coke. I only get half? This is crazy. How can you not give me the whole can of Coke? And for a moment, it escapes me that I am sitting in a chair, <laughs> 30,000 feet up in the sky, flying at hundreds of miles an hour, going to a different state or a different country. <laughs> what is spectacular for me, or should be, has become mundane. This, this good news that should be spectacular sometimes in our minds just becomes mundane. I hope this morning that, that for a moment, for a little sliver of time, you would let the truthfulness of those words uh, settle into your heart that 
Christ died once for sins. I love that Peter reminds us that this sacrifice was a, a one-time sacrifice. It was a once and for all. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 27 says, He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, uh, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did, he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus doesn't continually need to offer up himself for our sins. No, he, uh, he did it once. Hebrews 10 verses 11 through 13 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Don't you love that? Uh, Jesus uh, paid for our sins just once. Uh, his sacrifice was sufficient. It wasn't a payment that, can, that uh, continually needed to be made. It was, it was kind of a one and done sort of thing. <laughs> Not even kind of. It was. I don't know if you have any reoccurring bills in your life, but I do. My mortgage comes to mind. On the first of every month, there is a certain amount of money that's withdrawn from my account and put toward uh, the home that I live in. It happens like clockwork. Uh, last month in September, uh, they came for me on the first of the month, and they took their money. Thankfully, it was there, and I didn't think much about it until, until the next month, this month. <laughs> On the first of this month, they did it again. It was as if the payment I made in September wasn't sufficient to cover October, and something tells me that in November, I'm going to have to do the same thing. It's a reoccurring payment. I'm not a big fan of payments, but I, I certainly am not a big fan of reoccurring payments. Do you know that Jesus didn't have to give a reoccurring payment? Uh, Jesus suffered once for sins. And then Peter says the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous that's Jesus for the unrighteous. That's me. And that's you. Uh, in the story that Scripture tells of creation and humanity, Jesus is the one perfect character. You and I, uh, we are not. I have to be honest with you. I'm not a, a big fan of being the unrighteous one in the story. I want to be uh, the hero in this story. I want to be the one who follows the rules. And even when I break the rules, I kind of want to make sure that <laughs> 
there's someone else that breaks them worse than me. And yet, Scripture teaches us in God's story, there's one righteous one, that's Jesus, and there's one unrighteous one, and well, and that's me, and, and that's you. Do you know that uh, your sin uh, was so offensive to a holy and just God that it was necessary for Jesus, the righteous one, to die in your place? Sometimes I think we forget that Jesus needed to die for us. Sometimes in our minds, we think about the other folks that Jesus needed to die for, but we forget that, well, we're part of that group. Jesus suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And then Peter gives spectacular news uh, to the church. Jesus suffered for our sins once, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, and then uh, Peter reminds the church why Jesus did what he did. This is uh, so important. He says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he might bring us to God. This is the result of the work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Christ, that, that God's children, his sons and daughters can be brought to God. Oh, there are many benefits of salvation. There are many benefits to a restored relationship with Christ. There is forgiveness. Who doesn't want that? There is no condemnation. That is a, a beautiful thing. There is this relationship that has been restored. Scripture teaches us that even though at one time we were enemies of God, now we are friends. We have been brought near to God. All those are beautiful consequences or the beautiful result of the work of Jesus. But perhaps nothing is more important or more beautiful than this, that Jesus died once. He suffered once uh, for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross uh, allows us, you and me, secures the fact that we get God. We get God. That is the great prize in life. Um, not just that we get the gifts of God or the benefits of salvation, but we get God himself. Is that good news for you? Many years ago, I was struck by a quotation from pastor and author John Piper. Uh, he wrote uh, these words, and I have to be honest with you, uh, they, they kind of stopped me in my tracks a bit. He asked this question, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed 
and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or no natural disasters. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you? Like if you had everything in the world that you love, that you enjoyed, but you didn't have Jesus, would that be heaven to you? Peter says that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God the Father sent God the Son uh, to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death, to defeat death, uh, bearing God's wrath and punishment upon his shoulders, being buried, uh, but being raised to life. Jesus did this uh, to bring us to God so that we would get God. That is the good news of the gospel. My prayer is that it would be good news for you today. I think, <laughs> I think that's what Peter is getting at here. I, I think that's the main thing, the thrust of this passage. But then, you know, he says some things that are confusing. He, he says in, uh, at the end of verse 18, that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. He goes on, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected uh, to him. Uh, this is where the text gets difficult. What does, does that mean? What does it mean where it says that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison? Huh? And, and what does Peter mean when he says baptism now saves you? I always thought we were saved by grace through faith, that we were saved apart from works. Is baptism an add-on to that? Or what does he mean when he says that? Well, this is where we put on our thinking caps. This is where we ask God to help us see what we don't see. This is when we begin to ask lots of questions about the text and we seek godly wisdom. Uh, that first portion where it, it talks about uh, Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, those who did not formally obey, there, there are uh, many interpretations of those couple of verses. But there's a, a couple of, and I hesitate to even say this, but <laughs> there's a couple of uh, main uh, ideas that, that people think Peter could be referring to. The, f the first is that it could be referring to Christ preaching through Noah in his days while Noah was building the ark. Earlier in 1 Peter, the apostle Peter talks about the, the spirit of Christ in us. It's almost like this idea that when Noah was preaching, he was preaching with the spirit of Christ 
uh, in him. Some argue that that could be an option. Uh, another interpretive option is that it could refer to Old Testament saints who had died and were liberated between Christ's uh, death and his resurrection. There's a, a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, I think verses uh, 8 and 9, that seem to kind of allude to something like that, that oftentimes people look to and go, hey, maybe maybe this is explaining what is taking place here. A, a third option, an option that I think is a good option, and that I would lean toward is is that this describes Christ a proclamation of victory and judgment over evil angels and uh, spirits. This seems to fit the context of uh, Peter of this particular passage because it's going to show Jesus as kind of the victorious uh, king. And, and so it kind of fits the context here of first uh, Peter three, as Peter is talking about the victorious uh, Christ. And so I think it, good argument could be made that that's what Peter's referring to. And then he, he kind of switches gears a little bit and talks about uh, baptism, you know, baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. And so, you know, I, I read that and I go, okay, well, wait a second. Did I miss something? Does, does baptism save you? Because you know, Peter says baptism, which corresponds to this now saves you. But, but he says not the removal of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is one of these passages where I want to understand the immediate context. I want to understand Peter's writings, and then I want to pull back a little further and understand the New Testament writings on a baptism. And I think there are enough passages that would lead me to believe that, that baptism is a rightful response for a child of God. It is an outward expression of an inward reality. It is something that the Christian does in response uh, to the work that God has already done. I think about Romans chapter 6, verse 4, that paints this picture of baptism being representative of, of the new life that we have in Christ. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, 4, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the body by the glory of the Father, we too might walk and newness of life. And so baptism is, again, this picture, this outward expression of an inward reality. It's not uh, something that we do to earn God's favor. It's something that we do to demonstrate the work that God has already done. Baptism isn't a celebration, uh, per se, of our decision that we made to follow Jesus. It is something that we do uh, to point people to the work uh, that God has done in our response to that uh, work. If you are watching this today and you're a part of the Christ Point family and you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I want to encourage you and uh, even challenge you, be baptized. Uh, I'd love to sit down with you and share more about what Scripture teaches about baptism and we would love as a church family to be able to talk about what would that step of faith look like in your life? Because we would love to be able to celebrate the work that God has done in you. And so if you're a believer, a Christian, and you haven't been baptized, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's something that we should do in response to God's good work in us. Be baptized. 
these questions that we're wrestling with and asking are important to answer. We should ask these questions. We should wrestle with the answer, but we should also not lose sight of what Peter is uh, trying to communicate to uh, the church. Remember, uh, Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And then he talks about through the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. I love this beautiful picture of the victorious Jesus. I love the picture of victorious Jesus because oftentimes we live life like, well, like we've been defeated. Oh, certainly there are times when we talk about living the victorious Christian life, but even then it seems like life can be marred by sin or brokenness or just all the junk that we deal with in this world. And yet here is this picture of Jesus ruling and reigning in the heavens with all being subjected to him. The scripture says in you, this is Colossians, in you were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal commands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus vindicated is now victorious. If you are a sports fan and you've ever had your favorite team win a championship before, you know what it's like, at least somewhat, uh, to be able to celebrate victory. Maybe you see your team in the victory parade or maybe you see them celebrating after their big win. And it seems like, in part, even though you didn't play, and even though you really had nothing to do with their victory, boy, it sure feels like you are sharing in their win. Well, in much the same way, we get to share in the victory of Jesus. It really didn't have anything to do with the victory. It, it wasn't our sacrifice. It wasn't our obedience. It wasn't our hard work. Uh, instead, we get to, as children of God, experience the benefits uh, from the victory of another. Uh, Jesus is the victorious one. He uh, rules and reigns in heaven with all creation being subject to him. I pray that 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 news, uh, the news that Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God, that he uh, rules and reigns victorious in the heavens at the right hand of God. I pray that, that that news would be good news for you today. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the good news of the gospel Thank you that Jesus, your son, fully God and fully man, suffered once for sins, the righteous 
for the unrighteous, to bring us to you. God, thank you for the living hope that we have because of Christ. Jesus, you rule and reign on high, and we honor and praise your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. Christ Point want to encourage you to circle your calendars for next week. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be having an outdoor service uh, at the Ayler Barn. We're encouraging you to bring your lawn chairs, bring a blanket for the kids to sit on. Uh, that service will be outside, weather permitting. And then following the service, uh, the church will provide lunch uh, for our church family. Uh, we would love uh, for you to be there. And so I want to invite you. Uh, we'd love to see you next Sunday, 1030 at the service, outside. And then we'll have lunch immediately following the service. Also want to remind you that the first Sunday in November, we are going to be gathering food for the Mission City Food Pantry. We're doing this each Sunday of the month through the year. And so please bring uh, food that we will uh, take over to the Mission City Food Pantry in Charlotte. Uh, they've really been a blessing to that community where God has placed them. And we get the joy of partnering with them. And so I uh, just want you to know I thank God for you, Christ Point, for your partnership uh, in the gospel and with Mission City Church. Also want to let you know that uh, November the 15th is our next GONE event. GONE stands for Good of Our Neighbor event. Uh, we are going to be assembling shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Our goal this year is to have 250 shoeboxes assembled. Our service, our church service, is going to be service. And so when you come on the 15th, uh, we ask you to wear your masks, and we're going to be assembling those boxes. And when they go out, to various places around the world, they go out, not just with a, a box full of trinkets, uh, they go out with the gospel. And so be praying that God would use the truth of his gospel to change the hearts and lives of kids all around the world for all of eternity. God bless you, Christ Point, and we'll see you next week at 1030.